Welcome to Wiffle's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wiffle. Welcome again to another riveting edition of Wolfel's Press Box Podcast. I'm Gary Wolfel, and I'm delighted to be joined by my partner in the broadcast booth, <laughs> Jerry Tapp. Jerry, welcome aboard again. Hi, Gary. Have a good weekend. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. yeah. Today, we're going to kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, Isn't today's program a potpourri? It, you took the word right out of my mouth. It's going to be a potpourri of Wisconsin sports, pro sports. It's going to be the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and of course, the uh, Green Bay Packers. And We're not going to talk about the Milwaukee Marauders roller derby team, are we? We're going to do that next week. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't enough time for that tonight. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, just a lot of things going on with all three major sports teams uh, in the state. And I think we'll uh, start out with the Brewers. And obviously it's the off season, but there's already rampant speculation that the Brewers are going to, you know, be wheelers and dealers and they're going to try to upgrade the team. And why not? That would be interesting. You know, they're, they're on the brink of being a really good team, I think. You know, right. maybe, maybe a player or two away. But your thoughts on the Brewers and what you think they might need to do uh, during the offseason to uh, make them an even better team? Well, first of all, I think we, we saw that with free agency that there's been a couple of the pitchers that they picked up midseason that have applied for free agency that are likely going to leave. Mm-hmm. Moustakas is filed for free agency. Probably a good chance he's going to leave. I think that'll probably mean that Shaw moves back to third. Second base is probably up in the air, but I guess they've got a couple of young guys in their minor league system that maybe are ready. Right. Um, I think the big question to me is, what are you going to do with Braun? And I think I know your answer uh, <laughs> to that. You're already one step ahead of the policy here. <laughs> but I think with Kane and Yelich, you've got two-thirds. They've got to make a decision on Braun. So is Broxton ready to go? How about Santana? Santana had a nice last couple months of the season. And then I think you're probably going to have to retool the um, – pitching staff a little bit because you've got guys like hopefully Jimmy Nelson is coming back, hopefully Zach Davies will be back, who knows if Wade Miley, if Gonzalez mm-hmm. will be back, so you've got a lot of options with starters and they've got some pieces, some young guys that pitched really well in the playoffs so I think there's enough question marks to mm-hmm. get through the, the, the off season, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. If you were David Stearns, what would be your priority move? Priority move. Wow, that's a great question. That's why if you on this podcast well, to give me a great answer. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It's just my own personal opinion. Yeah. I think you've got to figure out what's going to happen at second base. I don't think Jonathan Scope is the answer. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if they looked to make a deal for second base if they don't think the couple guys they have in the minors are ready. And then I think you're always going to retool your pitching staff. I think that's an ongoing. How about bringing back Scooter Jeanette? I would love to see Scooter Jeanette come back. Just throwing that out there. Oh, I would. You know, if the Reds aren't going anywhere, you know, who who knows, you know? I mean, if if they're in a rebuild mode, which I assume they are, man, would that be be an off-season move, huh? I think so, yeah. And I guess the other thing is I'm kind of curious to see what, if anything, they do with their catching. Mm -hmm. It was very serviceable this year. Neither one of their catchers hit much average or whatever but boy it'd be nice if they could find a really stud catcher that could catch 130 140 games but maybe they're content to 
you know, split the time between a couple of average catchers. So. Well, you and I are uh, on the same page on this, and my priority would be going out and getting a front-line starting pitcher. Okay. Uh, Jacob deGrom's name still surfaces. I don't know if he's uh, untouchable or not, but his name is yeah. still being mentioned in trade talks. Uh, his agent, by the way, just joined the Mets as their GM. So. Really? So we'll see how that impacts. So you figure he's going to be a long-term signing, probably staying there. But uh, obviously, that would that would be uh, the guy I would target. You know, yeah. see what see what it take. But you know, there's some other intriguing guys like James Paxton in Seattle. I think would be interesting. Uh, certainly, uh, Patrick Corbin from Arizona. I know he's old. He's probably like 32 or 33. But Kluber from the Indians. Yeah. You know, I I, I might take a flyer on him. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be really intriguing and. I think they've got to figure out what to do with a couple young guys that pitched well in the playoffs. Are they going to make them starters? Yes. Or, you know, get them some more time at AAA. But they certainly proved in the playoffs mm -hmm. that they're ready to go Burns. And and that's the thing, and I totally agree with you. But at the same time, the Brewers are, to me, right on the precipice of being a World Series contender. Yeah. Do you want to take that chance and say, hey, we're going to roll the dice with these guys? I mean. Right. All indications are they're going to be good pitchers. Yeah. You've been around baseball a long time. You, yeah. you just don't know. Plus, I think the other part of it, too, is what do you have to give up to get a top a front pitcher? Line. Unless you can sign somebody as a free agent. Okay, and you were talking about catchers? Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. Miami's JT uh, Real Moto okay. supposedly is available. And as we know, Miami's been in a... Uh, Fire so sale, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, they gave away Stanton, they gave away Yelich, yeah, they and, gave away their whole outfield. And uh, Real Moto, I mean, he's I think 27, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's got a good bat. I think he had like 27 home runs last year and 30 doubles. He's a, an above catcher. Yeah, and like you were saying, he's a stud catcher. You can plug him into that very, very important role. Yeah, and be good for maybe the next five, six years. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and uh, if I had to give up a, a top minor league prospect, so be it. Yeah. I mean, catcher to me is just an incredibly important position. Right. And uh, the Brewers are fortunate to do it by committee last year. Yeah. But personally, if you can get a player of that caliber, and, and the rumors are flying that the Atlanta Braves are all over them, oh, okay. that they really want them. But <laughs> Brewers got the ammo to get them. Right. Well, and the other part of it too, Gary, is what do the Brewers think about what they have in their minor league system? And the Correct. guy that keeps coming up and down is Jacob Nottingham. Yes, exactly. If he's not the catcher you know, for them, then they've got to look to make another move. I would trade him or, or one of their prospects and say, hey, I mean, you got the real deal right. with uh, Real, real Moto. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a given. If I'm Stearns, the Brewers, I look into that. And then my last priority <laughs> of my top three priorities <laughs> You know where it's going. I know. Jettison Braun. Yeah. I, I've said this for like two, three years now. And, um, you know, he turns 35 on November 17th. Right. So get, get your postcard ready. <laughs> you know, birthday card ready for him. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a guy that hit 254 last year, okay? Mm -hmm. The third consecutive year that his average has taken a hit, okay? He batted 241 in the NLCS, okay? He had four RBIs in the entire playoffs. Right. That's enough for me to move the guy if they can. But yeah. then on top of it, he's got $51 million left on his three years right. with Brewers. And and if, if, if he's going to be your number three hitter, uh, yeah. I just don't see the Brewers going much farther than they have. 
I don't think they're going to be able to move him. So, are they going to eat the contract? Ooh, boy, that would. Yeah, be they tough. won't do that. They won't. Yeah. I mean, he he and uh, Antonaggio are joined at the hip, so that's yeah. not going to happen. And and people, uh, you know, I, I have talked about this in the past. I have been told that's the reason they didn't trade him mm -hmm. because Antonaggio wouldn't give the okay. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll see about that, but uh, you know one other quick thing too, Gary, as we talked before the broadcast about, you know they lost a couple of coaches, which is really interesting. They, yes, and they lost their hitting coach, who uh, resigned. Mm -hmm. They lost their pitching coach, who then moved over to become the pitching coach for the Reds, and then they fired their division rival. Coach. Yeah, division rival. So you well, maybe know, they can get Jeanette for uh, the pitching coach, <laughs> a player be to be nice, named later. Yeah, you know? that'd be a nice trade. <laughs> So, you know, and I don't want to read too much into that. You, you kind of think that when you go and you, you're one game from reaching the World Series that your coaching staff is on the same page and exactly. you, don't, you don't want to bother with the chemistry. And I guess I can understand it, but the other part of it too is I think success breeds opportunity. True, And, and true. in this case, I think, I don't know... If Johnson, the pitching coach, left for more money, I don't know if Darnell Cole is left for more money or better opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these coaching movements and transitions are fairly transient. It, it happens right. all the time. So I, I don't look at it as they really lost anything in terms of, oh, my gosh, let's throw up our hands, what's going on? But I think when you have success like the team had, these coaches are going to get better and more opportunities. I, I, I That's can, the way I look at it. No, no, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. At the same point, though, if I'm Stearns, if I'm Antonaggio, I'm, I'm counsel, I break the bank to keep Johnson. I think what he did with that staff is nothing yeah. short of remarkable. Right. And when those guys started to go down, you go, okay, the Brewers are in trouble. Yeah. And he just kept finding ways to get the max out of each pitcher. Right. And great pitching coaches are just really hard to find. Yeah. And, again, th th there's no way in God's earth I will let him go. I would have made an offer so attracted to him. Well, and then that's the thing we don't know. We don't know what offer was made to him. Right, right. Or if he was working behind the scenes and he wanted to move and didn't even give the Brewers a chance. A lifetime so supply of Miller beer, beer or something? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know what's out there in Cincinnati yeah. that was that attractive. But. All right, let's uh, move on to the Bucks. They have been kind of overshadowed. I mean, you know, first it was the Brewers, you know, yeah. getting the playoffs, and then the Packers getting, you know, off to a shaky start. I mean, the Packers are going to overshadow anybody at any time in this state. But yeah. uh, the Bucks got have gotten off to uh, an amazing start. Right. I thought they would get off to a good start, but uh, their their recent West Coast uh, trip where they won two of the four games, I thought right. it was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, their, their chemistry is off the charts right now. It seems like everybody's in a good mood. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this, you know, plays out. But you have to give all the world right now to Mike Budenholzer, their new coach. I yeah. mean, he brought a new style. I, I think the players are incredibly comfortable with him. Yeah. He gives them a green light on offense. I mean, he's even letting John Hansen shoot three-pointers, which yeah. would have never happened in the past. And right. He hasn't said anything to Giannis about uh, shooting three-pointers. Giannis isn't even hitting, you know, 10%, yeah. which is god-awful. Right. I, I'm waiting for the first journalist out there to say, you know what, Giannis can't shoot. <laughs> and the other day I looked it up. He was shooting, I think, 9% from three-point range. 
and that ranked him 340th or something in the yeah. league. Right. You know, and you know, people always say, "Hey, Giannis needs to," you know, or is the ultimate game. Yeah, he's not close to that. Right. You know, he's he's got to become a better shooter, and there's a reason why uh, Jason Kidd, when he was a coach, demanded that Giannis not take a three-point shot. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens. But so far, you, you, you've got to be absolutely amazed by what the Bucks are doing. I, has it surprised you? I, I get a sense, Gary, that the Bucks, in a lot of respects, are taking uh, part of the playbook of the Golden State Warriors with regards to kind of that up-tempo, shoot-three type of mm-hmm. offense. Do you think that was an intentional, we're going to, you know, Look at the the Warriors have been they've won what three of the last yeah. four titles. Everybody's like it's a copy yeah, it's a copycat game whether it's in in football baseball basketball yeah. everybody does things and you're you're absolutely right. But a lot of NBA teams in the last two or three years have really started to go to you know spread offenses opening up the floor. Yeah, the spacing is becoming much greater. There there's. I mean, the days of having a center are long gone. You mm-hmm. know, unless you got Joel Embiid. Uh, right. Maybe Whitehead, you know, down in uh, Miami and right. a couple other guys, but it, it's a joke. I mean, I'll give you an example: Brooke Lopez. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice pickup for three million dollars. You, you know, it's a it's basically a steal. Yeah, but here's a seven footer who, to me, is like totally one dimensional. All he's doing is shooting threes, and and to his credit, he's shooting them well. Yeah, exactly. and, and it's been one of the reasons for the Bucks' success. Yeah, but do you know how many rebounds he's averaging game? This boggles me when I see a seven-footer averaging four, three rebounds a game. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, and they they can throw all this analytical crap about how teams rebound better when he's on the floor. Yeah, come on. By not rebounding, it just means one more thing for Giannis to do. Right. I mean, Giannis shouldn't have to worry about rebounding and everything else, you know. Yeah. But if if he doesn't rebound. Who is, you know? Yeah, but conversely, if if Brook Lopez is firing up three pointers and his man has to come out and guard on him, which is typically oh, on the man, uh, yes, that means that there is more opportunities for uh, on the offensive, offensive end. He, he definitely rebounds. helps him. He stretches right. the floor. Yeah. Although, count me as one of those people that still remain skeptical about whether he's going to be shooting threes this effectively yeah. for the whole season. He's gotten off to a great start. But and I was Gary, that's a great point because we're only thirteen games into the season mm-hmm. as we're talking here today you know you can't assume that what's happened in the first uh you know 11 games or 11, so yeah you know, 11 13 games of the season is going to be this way at the end of the season yeah you know the other interesting thing too is uh the philadelphia 76ers made a trade this week in which you got jimmy butler which i thought was a great trade for philadelphia yeah they needed another veteran to go jj reddick to kind of solidify that core with Embiid and Simmons. But now the rumors I'm hearing is the Bucks are in trade talks. Oh, really? And that they want to add a shooter. I mean, he would think that's the last thing they want to do. But DiVincenzo, yeah. for a rookie, has played like a rookie. I mean, at times he looks decent. Yeah. Other times he looks horrible. His shooting percentages are bad. Right. And if you're the Bucks, you can't afford on-the-job training. This is about winning now. Right. And uh, he might be a really good player two, three years down the road. But if the Bucks want to win games, they ha- they got to get a veteran in there somehow, some way. So yeah. I-, I fully expect him to go out and get a wing player at some point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's probably sooner the better. So who do you think is expendable then? 
Well, I, I mean, the guy that from the Bucks standpoint is, and they, he's been on the trading block for a while, is Matthew Dellavedova, and he hasn't played, and everybody's, you know, wondering why isn't Dellavedova? Right. Well, one of the reasons is because he's expendable. Okay. So that he he'll probably be moved, and whatever amount he makes, I was going to say it's like eight million or somewhere in the yeah. ballpark. But it doesn't matter. They the Bucks want to bring in a shooter on the wings, and mm-hmm. uh, understandably so. So another interesting thing is that. Toronto is clearly the best team in the East right now. Even after the Bucks uh, beat Golden State last week, I don't know if you saw the game or not, but that's a little bit of it. Yeah. Reggie Miller was at, after the game made a comment. He goes, "Well, I'm not ready to anoint the Bucks the best team in the Eastern Conference after they just beat Golden State." Right. Because he knows Toronto's, right. you know, the best team. And now you certainly yeah, with have Philadelphia too. And with Philadelphia getting Butler, and then Boston has struggled, but you know, at the end of the day, Brad Stevens will have this thing all figured out. He'll figure it out. And they have the most talent from from one to ten. I mean, yeah. that that team's loaded. Right. So uh, it's a matter of getting Hayward and uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, more comfortable in their system and uh, getting them settled in with their teammates. But I, I mean, think, if anything, Gary, the first month of the half of, this, of the NBA season has at least showed us that the Eastern Conference is going to be more interesting than we thought it was going to be. You know what Philadelphia did with the trade. The Bucks got off to, are, are off to mm-hmm. a quick start. Toronto's off to a great start. So yeah, there could be. Uh, four or five or six teams in it. And I think a team that you said was going to be your sleeper, the Washington Bullets. <laughs> they're imploding, huh? They're wizards. <laughs> they're, they're still sleeping. They're, <laughs> they're playing like the Washington Bullets. Oh, my. They're playing they're, like the Washington Generals yeah, right now. They're, they're not playing well. So. No, and, and, and I talked to a couple people last week, and I mean, it's not really hard to figure out. John Wall and Beal don't get along. And yeah. yeah. There's chemistry issues there, but uh, I, I picked them to be right where the Bucks are, you know, like yeah. the fourth or fifth spot yep. in the East, based on that backcourt of Beal and, and Wall. I mean, yeah. that's a, from a talent standpoint, it doesn't get much better than those two, right. but it, it's not working out no. and uh, so forth. But you you look at the top teams, you know, Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, that's how I pick them at this point. Yeah. But there's so many bad teams. That's where it gets, right. you know, then you got to, Couple other teams like Indiana and Miami, and now Charlotte's showing that hey, they might be yeah. a surprise this year. Detroit might, but there's some bad teams out there. Atlanta is just god awful. Right. Orlando's god awful. You right. know, Brooklyn's god awful. Cleveland's god awful. Bulls are god awful. Yeah, everybody goes, oh yeah, the Bucks could win. You know, fifty some games, and I agree because the Eastern Conference is god awful. Yeah, you know, it's not like the Western Conference. Well, maybe you you have Phoenix. Maybe you have Dallas, and Dallas isn't even bad. Right. I mean, with Harrison Barnes and Doncic now, yeah, and Wes Matthews. Yeah. Yeah. And they also got the uh, center. In. They got Brian Luck here, but you know that that's the difference. When you're in the Eastern Conference, you get days off. You are yeah. against bad teams. In the in the West, you don't. Well, the Bucks. What they do have to make sure though is with four or five teams that they should beat every time they play them. Absolutely. They make sure they beat them. Yeah, and they've done that so far. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's one thing that impressed me. The fact that they're getting rid of the bad teams and, and work in like manner is, is impressive. And they're winning on the road. I mean, this is a notoriously bad road team yeah. over the years. And this year they're showing, hey, we're, we're competitive on the road and as I well. And I think to your point before, the fact that they went on the West Coast and won two out of four, I remember when I followed the Bucks a lot closer. <laughs> they would have went over for 4. They would have went over for 4. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they won... Two of those four, and 
one of the games that they lost, they went into overtime and lost. Right. So I mean, and they could have lost to Denver too, because Denver was up by four points with a couple minutes to go, right. and they they blew that yeah. game. They they imploded, but yeah. nevertheless, two and two on, on a West Coast trip, yeah. which I thought was will be the toughest stretch for the Bucks all season. Yeah, you gotta like where they're going. They're they're gonna win a lot of games because you know what, Gary, if you can win three out of four at home and and win half your games um, on the road on the road. That's a 50-win season. You know, I said before the season that they'd probably get somewhere around 53 to 55. Yeah. And it's not like I am so impressed with them as a team. Again, I, I hate the makeup of the division. Yes, the you know, I mean, there, there's automatic games for them to win, yeah. no matter how badly they play. And they, they just got to make sure that they win those games. I mean, it all boils down to the playoffs. They yeah. got to get out of the first round. I mean, yeah. if they don't get out of the first round again, same old bucks. They got to get that third or the, that fourth playoff spot. Right. They have to get the home court. They got to get the home court. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to uh, say about those? What the bucks? Um, Vaunted bucks. I don't think so. No, I think we uh, covered it up pretty quickly there. Moving on. Lastly, to the Packers. Okay. And it, it's do or die time for the Packers. They got rid of the Dolphins last week, which we fully expected. Right. And they still remain two games back in the win column behind the Bears and the Vikings in the NFC North. But I think they control their own destiny. And starting this week at Seattle, then they go to Minnesota. I mean, to say that those two games are huge would be an understatement. Yeah. But if they win those two games, I think they're in the playoffs. Because then after that, they got Arizona, which they should kill. Atlanta is in Green Bay, and Atlanta's been up and down. Right. They, they look good at one sometimes. Yep. But then you're at Chicago, but then you finish with the Jets and the Lions, and you should win both those games. Yeah. So if they can beat Seattle on Sunday, which I think they're fully capable of doing, Seattle's 4-5, and five, that would set up a matchup with Minnesota. And if everything goes you know, according to Hoyle, the Packers will be two games behind when they meet. But if they win, it's a one game. Right. race with five games to go yeah and then things could get real interesting but yep. the next two weeks are, are absolutely imperative and critical for the uh, I think the bottom line is Packers. they need to win two they have to win at least one and they can't lose both of them right well if they they lose two they're done right yeah and you uh, win one your hopes are still there uh, as I think we talked about on the last broadcast. I mean, I still think of their last eight games. They've got to win six and and, and maybe even win seven. Mm-hmm. And if they win seven, that gives them ten wins. Oh, they'll be in if they get ten. I think if they can yeah. get ten, five, and one, yeah. that would be... I that, think they'll probably get some wild cards. Yeah, without without a doubt. Yeah. They're, they're in. You know, the one thing they have to do, and we, we could discuss this uh, for hours, but the one thing they have to do is quit being their own worst enemy. Yeah. It's like, I just can't believe all the silly mistakes they have made yep. over the course of the season. I mean, some of the things like uh, roughing the punter, yep. you know, and, and that was a horrible call to begin with, but it was, it was nevertheless, roughing the pump. Yep. And the helmet slap, remember yep. that? And then last week, which I, t- I didn't even know they had a rule for this, an illegal double-team block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody must have chopped, and they didn't show the replay or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it's like when's the last time you heard an illegal double team block right. penalty? Yeah. You know, but I mean, they got to clean up these mistakes. Well, and I think a really good example—they made a couple of mistakes against Miami. Mm-hmm. To, to your point, 
but Miami is not one of the elite teams. Exactly. So they were able to work their way through that. You can't make those mistakes against New England, and you can't make them against the Rams, which is what they did. When you make those mistakes against good teams, you're going to get beat. When you make them against teams that are not very good, you, pay you the can price. recover. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, when I'm watching that Dolphins team, I thought back to the Packers before Brett Favre came along. Yeah. Remember how the Packers were like, yep. they they just like tease you with a good play here or there, yep. but then otherwise they're just horrible. Yep. And they would just be ultra conservative and run yep. on first down, run on second down, yep. and didn't want to kill themselves. And I wonder if Mike McCarthy is listening to our podcast. Oh. Because you saw that we talked so much last time about the creativity, mm-hmm. and look what happens. They end up running a fake punt. I know. I didn't even know they had a trick play in their book, you know? And there it was. <laughs> I it tweeted was out. I tweeted out. I was sho- so shocked when they ran that trick play. Yeah. My tweet was, hell froze over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. But, but it's good. Yeah. They, they, they have to be more creative, and they have to get, obviously, Jimmy Graham more involved. Yeah. I mean, for him not to have a catch in the first half last yeah. week because ludicrous. You, you can't handle it. And I think, we, I think we saw that again, a, a fairly significant dose of Aaron Jones. You know, 15 I'll carries. tell you what, he is impressive. 145 yards. And I was thinking, you know, this this is crazy because, I mean, you, you don't know what's going to happen down the road, but to me, he has a chance to be one of the best Packer running backs ever. Like a, a wine green so. caliber. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got incredible physical skills. Yeah. And he's got a will to compete. Yeah. Now he fumbled away the ball, you know, a couple of weeks ago in a critical situation. But yeah. outside of that, I I don't know how anybody can have any problems with that guy. Yeah, he's really um, shown the talent that he. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone suspected that he had. That he. Um, but I, I loved a comment that one of the linemen made, and they said the more that we give the ball to Aaron Jones, and he does. Yeah. His job in terms of gaining yards is going to open up the passing game more because now you're going to be able to use more of the play action. Correct. You know, because if, if you're a defense and you think Aaron Jones is going to get the ball 20, 25 times a game, you're probably going to change your defense mm-hmm. to play for that. Right. Well, if you do, Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to know that if the defensive alignment is such that they're playing for a run, and they've called a run play, he can easily audible and throw a pass. Let's hope that that's where Jimmy Graham can become effective, too. Because, again, to your point, um, boy, they've got to figure something out to get him involved. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, to me, if they they clean up their mistakes, they're going to be just fine. But on offense, defensively, and and I hate to sound like a broken record, but they got to bench Clay Matthews. I think it's come to the point where Clay Matthews is just – not productive. Yeah. I mean, second straight week. You know he didn't have a tackle Sunday. Yeah, I felt. So. I mean, come on. You're you're an outside linebacker. You, yeah. You're athletic. You can run with the flow. You can chase guys down. Whatever. You know. Yeah. Zero tackles. Yeah. Zero sacks. I, I'm sorry. I'm sure you'd be mad as hell if that happened. But there's guys behind him that have played well when given him the opportunity. Right. And their season, obviously, is on the line. Mm -hmm. And if Matthews isn't going to play up to the level that he once did, he's useless out there. It's 11 on 10. Yeah. So uh, It's putting a lot of pressure, I think, on Blake Martinez because it seems like every week he's leading the team in tackles. 
He's amazing, isn't he? Uh, I mean, I think he had eight this yeah, past yeah. weekend. I mean, he, he's a guy you can count on every week to be solid. He's always around the ball. He is, and and that's what Matthews has to be. He's got to be that kind of a uh, player, but we yeah. know he's not. And Matthews is not getting pressure on the quarterback in, no. those, in those passing situations. Right. You know, other than, was it a couple weeks ago, he had a couple of... Against the Rams, yeah. Against he, the Rams, he had yeah. a couple of... By far his best game of the year. Yeah. But, I exactly. mean, you, you can't go past the midway point of the season to have just one good game. You know what yeah. I mean? No consistency at all. So, yeah. to me, if I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm saying, hey, sorry, Clay. Again, he knows it's a business. He's 32 years old, going yeah. 33 years. His best days are clearly behind I him. Think so. so. Can I give you one stat for, yeah. the, for the game? Yeah. I love this stat. They were talking on the game about Frank Gore. Yeah. And that he 500 had, yards for... Well, he had 90 yards in the game against the Packers, and yeah. that he's 35 years old. So I thought, he's the oldest running back. I wa- I, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if any other running backs against the Packers that were 35 years or older had, you know, close to 100 yards. Yeah. And after doing the research, he had 90 yards. That's the most a 35-year-old running back has ever gotten against the Packers in their history. Before that, it was. So like, is he the oldest? Oldest no, or no, just it wasn't 35? The oldest. But of all the running backs, 35 or over the play against the Packers. Oh, 35 or older. 35 or older. Yeah, yeah. He got the most yards in a game against the Packers. Wow. 90. So, I mean, I would have thought that there would have been somebody else. I think the previous record was like 70 yards by somebody in like 1962. That, that's a great stat. So, uh, I, I like thought, what a, what a great game Gore had in that 35 years old. I mean, yeah, pretty impressive. That is a great stat. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to cover about the Packers. I, I will say, and you know, it's a, almost like a weekly uh, proclamation by me that <laughs> Brian Gutekunst is, I just think the world of him is a GM. Yeah. And I, I usually don't like GMs. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a couple in Milwaukee that start. <laughs> but I think Gutekunst has just a, done a remarkable job. And what I'm leading up to is his selection of Jair Alexander. Yeah. I mean, he moves back in the draft in the first round, and I'm thinking, like, how crazy is that? You're right. finally in a good spot to get a top-notch player. And he moves back and gets Alexander. And Alexander, in my mind, could be the defensive rookie of the year. Yeah. I think he, is, he has been exceptional. He's been by far their best defensive uh, back. Yeah. And uh, he, he doesn't play like a rookie. I mean, he looks like a special talent. Yeah, I think the, the fun thing is to watch him. He, he's, he seems like he's really aggressive. He's um, animated on the field, mm-hmm. which you don't see from a lot of the Packer players. Exactly. I mean, the guy looks like he's having a good time. He's having fun. He's making great plays. Yeah, he's been really impressive. Yeah, no, that, that's a great observation about his... Uh, love for the game. You can tell he yeah. loves to play football. Yeah. And I think guys that usually have that love and passion for the game yeah. do pretty well. The, so. the thing that I find interesting, Gary, is watching the Packer games now at the midway point in the season is when you see somebody make a play and you have absolutely no idea who the guy is. <laughs> yes. You know, like when it was it Green that got the ball on Green and Brown and where are these guys coming from? Yeah, you know? yeah you're wondering where are, these, where are these guys come from? So to your point about Gutekunst, He's obviously figuring out a way to get guys in there that can play. So maybe, again, with Clay Matthews, somebody's got to pull the trigger and say, if he's not doing the job, 
you know what, limit his snaps and get somebody in there that can, yeah, that can ma- be the player. Ma- make him a situational player, just strictly on it and third and long or whatever. He's you know? not the claymaker anymore. Well, he, he, he's like clay to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's got feet of clay. Yeah, you know? that, that nickname has long yeah, been over, overused. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, good stuff. Yes. And uh, you sure you don't want to talk about the admirals? I'm telling you, we don't have enough time. Or the that, that would be that would be like a five hour podcast, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, well, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Always great to be here. And uh, thank you for listening in. And we'll be talking to you again next week. Take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWuffle and Wuffle's Pressbox.com.